Thank you so much for visiting us online today. We believe God wants to speak to you through the following message. If you would like to connect with us or send us your prayer request, visit us at kingsgatehobs.com. Likes and dislikes, things I know about them, but I mentioned in a video this week on Facebook that Valeria put on Facebook how, how the more you get to know Jesus through his word and through spending time with him in prayer, the more you can talk about him. You ever been asked to talk about something you didn't know much about? <laughs> like, it's like asking me to talk about a pulling unit. I think pulling unit is what I know about the pulling unit, the name. And I could throw names around, and that's the pusher, and that's the this, and the Derek hand, and I don't even know what those are. I have to fake you out. I don't know. And I just know that oil brings a blessing to this area. I can't talk much about that. But one thing I can talk about, thank God for my parents. I praise God for mom and dad. Raised me as a little dude, man, a little, little bitty boy teaching me Bible stories and teaching me about Jesus and the things he liked and didn't like and who he was and how he behaved. God in the flesh. So this series, as we continue today, it's the real Jesus. We see that he was a God of miracles on this earth. He always has been, but man, he did something special there in Israel for, for those years he was alive. Alive as all God and all human. He lived to be 33, and then they crucified him, and then he rose from the dead. But there's not anything mentioned about his life much. I say not anything. Not much mentioned about his life from birth to age 30. Just a few things. But we know that at 30, he began his public ministry, and it was staggering. The Apostle John says, man, I guess, he said, I suppose, at near the end of the book of John, the Gospel of John in the New Testament, he said, I suppose that if we were to write everything down that he did, I suppose there wouldn't be enough room, in, I mean, in all the books in the world, we couldn't, we couldn't write everything down, basically. There was so much that he did, but God chose to have these things written down about the life of Jesus on this earth. He was miraculous. He was loving. He was forgiving. He confronted sin. He confronted religion. What is religion? You say, well, but I, we're religious people, aren't we? Well, I, many times people are harmless in that description of we're religious. Well, according to Scripture, the religious leaders, they had knowledge of God. They knew the letter of the law, but they didn't have a real relationship with God. So you want to make it simpler for yourself, and I would say better, according to Scripture, you're a Christian or you're a believer or you're a follower of Jesus. Why? Because we want to get to know the real Jesus. I don't want to just have rules and stuff and say, don't do this, don't do that, and be angry and not walk in love. I want to be like Jesus. And the more you study about him, the more you can model your life after him. The more you know about him, the more you can talk about him. So let's continue today. This is a powerful story. I don't believe I've ever taught this story before. We're going to read through it, and then I'm going to give you some points on it. You may see yourself in this story. Not exactly, obviously. This is very extreme. But there's some points I believe you're going to say, man, God delivered me. God did this in my life. God touched me. Wow, I can see a similarity here in some areas, okay? Not saying that you are a demon-possessed person, because that's who we're going to talk about today, all right? But you can, I believe we can see ourselves in almost every story in the Bible. They're not just stories or, hey, we know that's historically accurate. There it is. No, they're to teach us morals. They're to teach us love. They're to teach us what to do. Sometimes stories are to teach us what not to do in Scripture, right? Say, man, I'm not going to do that. But we also see ourselves and how God has loved us and redeemed us and saved us. Praise God. So let's go to Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. 
once again, I don't know that I've ever, I've ever been through this. I, I, I don't recall ever teaching this story or reading through this story at church. Maybe I have. I don't think so. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes. Also, some translations say Gadarenes, all right, across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. Can you imagine that scene? We just got past Halloween. Thank God I hate Halloween. But can you imagine somebody demon-possessed stumbling up on you? It's like you driving in a car somewhere, and you got the Spirit of God in you. You're walking right with God, and you pull up to your destination. And can you imagine a crazed lunatic runs up to you, and he's demon-possessed? So they were just getting out of their ride, and this demon-possessed dude shows up. He came out to meet him. Let's go to the next verse. For a long time, look at, look at this story. He had been homeless and naked. How shameful is that? Do you, think, do you think the enemy, do you think demons have good plans for humans? That's shameful. The devil's plan has always been to lower us and keep us underfoot and, and insecure and ashamed and trashed and in a bad, bad, bad situation. He hates you. He's jealous of you. Satan can't go to heaven. Scripture says hell was made for Satan and his fallen angels. And he hates you. He hates the DNA you have. He hates the way God put his seal of approval on you. He hates the way God created you in his image. And so look at what demons do. Look at the plan of the enemy. For a long time he'd been homeless and naked, living... This is Halloween, isn't it? This is a real Halloween-type intro to this story. Living in a cemetery outside the town. Can you imagine homeless and naked living among the graves of the dead? As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked. I'm not going to attempt to imitate him this morning. A shriek is a high-pitched scream. Probably make, make the hair on the back of your neck stand up, okay? He shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, so he's still screaming, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. You're going to see why the demon said that here in a moment. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power, out of his mind. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied. A legion in the Roman army was a, could be up to 6,000 soldiers. He's saying, legion. For he was filled with many what? Many demons. I don't know if there were really 6,000 demons in him. Demons are liars. But the, we know that there were a lot. And the rest of the story proves that. There were a lot of demons in this man. We know that for sure. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. Basically, don't send us to hell or the underworld or the abyss. The power that Jesus had, he, he could send them to hell, basically. Get out of here. Strange, strange part to the story. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to what? Let them enter into the pigs. It's strange, isn't it? So Jesus gave them permission. I don't understand this part of the story. You can debate it. You can look in the Greek. You can look in different languages. I don't quite understand that part of the story, but Jesus gave them permission. You can look into that for yourself. Then the demons came out of the man, 
See, Jesus said, either way, get out of this man. And entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep what? Hillside into the lake and drowned. Strange. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. Some dude just got off a boat from the Sea of Galilee, cast something out of this man, this crazy dude. We don't know his real name. We call him the Gadarene or the Gerasene. And cast something out of this man. They got into our pigs and ran him off the cliff, and we're freaked out. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus. He was always gathering crowds, wasn't he? People were so fascinated with what Jesus was doing. They were just freaked out. And they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. I want you to think about that for a minute. What were they afraid of? Jesus' authority and power? Were they afraid that he could completely transform this man who'd been just oppressed and destroyed? He was a shell and a husk of a human, demon-possessed, had no will of his own. He was so demon-possessed. Why were they afraid? Did they fear God? What, what exactly? They were afraid because it was something out of the norm. Did you know there are times, you may not know this, there are times that people are nervous about you. You don't realize it, but they're nervous about you. They say they're not like us. You make people nervous. Have people ever slipped and said a cuss word in front of you? And they're like, oh, sorry. I know you don't roll like that, right? I know you don't drink like this. I know you don't live like this. I know you don't do what I do. I'm sorry. And, and they make you a little nervous. And then, and, and, have you ever had this? People at the office are telling, you assume they're dirty jokes because when you walk up, they get quiet. You're different. They're afraid of what you're going to say. More accurately, they feel some kind of fear or respect or something about the Jesus that lives on the inside of you. Okay? So, man, they saw something. God did it. It was good. You know, we can't explain the pigs right now. I'm, I'm not going to even attempt to. But they just said, man, look at this. They were afraid. Those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been what? Healed. And all the people in the region of the Gerasenes, look at what they did. This is strange. They begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. It's not that strange if you look into the story of Peter. Remember when Jesus first called Peter? Peter said, Lord, I don't know if you want to be around me. I'm a sinful man. When things aren't lined up in your life, it freaks you out. You get a fear of God when God does something great and he's nearby and you, you feel convicted or you fight your conviction or whatever for a great wave of fear swept over them. They're like, Jesus, you need to leave. You need to leave. So Jesus returned to the boat. Look at what a gentleman he was. Can you imagine? He's God in the flesh. No, I'm here to cast out all the demons out of y'all too that are afraid right now. Can you imagine? No. God goes where he's welcome. He doesn't force himself on anybody. He just starts going back to the boat so they can start crossing back to the other side of the lake. Look what happens here. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Your life just got changed for the better, just like that. Years of torment. Who knows how he let all them demons in? We don't know. But Jesus sent him home, look at this, saying, No, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the what? Through the town, proclaiming the great things 
Jesus had done for, for him. Same story is told in Mark 5. It's a little more detailed. And it says that he went proclaiming through the ten town area. It's called Decapolis. Ten towns there. He not only went home and told his family, he went and started to tell other folks in, in the ten town region. Can you imagine? Ten towns in this region, that'd be a lot of people, huh? This guy began walking around. And look at what it says here. I'm going to read it to you. So the man started, this is in, in Mark 5. We don't have to turn there. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Jesus is like, don't come with me. Go, go tell what God has done for you. Jesus knew. Jesus was like, they're not welcoming he, me right now, but this guy has firsthand information about me. He can go share it now. There's so much in that story. There's so much in that story. See, if Jesus appeared to people right now, I don't know if everybody would receive it. They'd freak out and say, man, Lord, you're too holy. But guess what? He can use vessels like us, right? Sometimes you go into your workplace. Man, if Jesus appeared at your workplace, who knows what would happen? But you can go there and you can tell people what great things God has done in your life. That's powerful. Wow. Okay, so... I almost said, are there any questions? I know you're not going to ask questions on a Sunday morning. <laughs> I thought I was at Connect Group for a minute. Are there any questions? Oh, yeah, verse 35, Pastor Matt, you know. There's a lot of parallels in here, and I saw them with me. No, I never stumbled around and broke chains and slept in graveyards and spoke with other demonic voices or anything like that. And I, I never did that. But I know this, me and you, at some point in our lives, we were point one today, Apart from God, we were helpless. Helpless. Now, some folks were helpless and hopeless. Now, there's a difference. My baby niece, her name is Camila Barbara. She's not hopeless, but in some ways, she's helpless. When I was preparing the sermon, I thought about her and her little, what's that little thing she rides around in? What do y'all call that? Walker, stroller. The walker? Okay, it's a walker. So she walks around, and she can bump into walls and be delighted and raise her hands, and she likes to clap. I like to make her clap. I like to get her hands and go, as fast as I can. She just thinks it's funny. Or I saw, don't hurt her. I'm like, no, she's flexible. She's a baby. Let's make her clap. So sometimes she cries. I'm told I haven't seen this yet. She cries, and she claps, and she's crying. Talk about a spirit of joy and praise. Oh, Lord, I can't even make it, but blessed be the name of the Lord, man, just clapping. I don't know if she's just doing something with her hands, sweet baby. But in some ways, she's helpless because you could leave her in that walker and she can't get out of that walker. She can't stand up and walk into the kitchen and, and feed herself. Even if she could stand upright right now and go into the kitchen, she couldn't even reach any of the food. In many ways, she's helpless. She's perfect to me, but, you know, I'm sure she has to get a diaper change sometimes. She can't go, Dad, I messed up another diaper. I got it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and just. How did you do this last time? I'm going to go ahead and just take this off. Dad, get, can I have another one? Mom? No? She's helpless. But can you imagine someone demon-possessed who is helpless and hopeless too? See, there's people, people around you. They're not necessarily demon-possessed, but they're helpless and they're without hope. 
and they're stumbling around life without hope at all. There's no hope for them. Or they don't know. They, let, me, let, me, let me restate that. They don't know that there's hope for them. We're going to get to the end of the points today, and you're going to see you, you play an important role in this in saying, man, I was like this, and God rescued me. You weren't, maybe you weren't a demoniac, all right? But you were helpless, and at some points you were hopeless as well. Wow, that's powerful. How about this, number two? Miserable. There's miserable, and then there's miserable and tormented. Now, you as believers, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're struggling with misery, you're going, I feel miserable, I feel, hope you're not tormented, but you say, man, I feel miserable, there's no condescension coming from me today. There's no looking down my nose at you today. No, there's, you better seek God, you better start praying again. I've had seasons where I was miserable because I was out of God's will in some area. And God is, you know what God has always done with me? I don't know how it is with you, but it's just simple with me. God always says, why don't you come back and pray more? Why don't you seek me more? Why don't you talk to me more? You're miserable because I want to talk to you. You feel a burden. You don't feel like yourself. You're a believer now. You're different. You're different. You need to come back to me. See, this world offers all this junk, and it's so empty and shallow. And we say, no, I want that. No, I want this. And God says, come back to me. Come back. Now imagine people without Jesus, how miserable and then tormented they are. There's an epidemic going on right now. Saw a clip of this yesterday, and they've had news stories about it all over the world. There's research going, all over the, going on all over the world. And they showed clips of newscasters in Japan, I believe, and in China, and, and, and I don't know, Russia, America, all over the world. And guess what the current epidemic is? Loneliness. People are so disconnected. They're miserable and tormented. You don't have to be lonely anymore. There's times people are in a, a, a room full of people, and they're so lonely. Years ago, I was told the story. There was a guy that used to go to church here, and the guys were all hanging out. I don't think I was there. And look, look, this is sad. This is not to make fun. This is sad. But the guy was posting on Facebook while he's hanging out with all the guys from the church. I don't know how many guys there were hanging out. And he's posting stuff like, I don't think I fit in. And the guys in the room are getting updates on their phone on Facebook going, what? <laughs> what? You're here with us. Like, what? I, you know, he, lonely. In a crowd. Say, no, I just need more people. No, you need a relationship with God. Miserable and tormented. That's what the world is. I can't even imagine. I, I believe the newscaster was saying in Japan there were 800 to 900,000 people. I hope I got this right. That had just basically withdrawn from society. Can you imagine? 800 to 900,000 people in one country, they just withdrew from society. Not in contact with many people, just, I don't, know if, I don't know if that meant they were hermits. There's a lot you could take from that. But they were lonely. And they were away from it. They were distancing and isolating their, themselves from other people. Wow. You ever come across anybody like that? Maybe lately? Well, see, at one point, we were without Jesus and his hope. I don't ever want you to be a miserable believer. You have family here. You have family and connection and connect group. We got events here. There's, I'm telling you, don't get caught up in the social media craze to where you're, you're, it's like you're a part, okay, let me just say this. Social media to me almost makes it to where some people are a part of everything and a part of nothing. 
Social media has lots of benefits. You can talk about Jesus. You can put up verses. You can find teachings and preachings on there. You can use, it's a powerful thing you can use for good in your own life and in the lives of others. We use it here at church. But the enemy has used it to cause people to be depressed, to be jealous of what others are doing. Say, man, they got all that. Look how good they look. Look at the, look what? Come on, man. Look at what God has given you. Look at what God has given you. And we're going we're gonna to get into that here in a minute. I'm, ty- I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. We're going to get into that in a minute. Miserable and tormented. Are there people around you who are miserable and tormented? Hmm. Maybe we were miserable. Maybe we were tormented. But then number three, look at this. Just like the gathering, you didn't have to be a demoniac to be rescued. I'm reminded of this, true rescue, when I think I'm a big um, history fan and I like studying World War II and different wars and something that's always fascinated me, kind of a morbid fascination, is prison camps. I got to go see a prison camp in Austria. It was called Mauthausen. And it was actually liberated by a certain division of the United States Army, 1945. Powerful. I, I just cried tears there, and you knew that Jews and other people who didn't agree with the Nazi regime were killed, and they, they had to do forced labor and all this stuff at Mauthausen. But I'm reminded of a guy's story, and you should really watch the movie. It's powerful, and the rescue is near the end of the movie, but it's the true story of Louis Zamperini. In 1936, he, he was actually in the Olympics, but then he got drafted into the war. He, he's an American, and he, was, he, he went into the war. He joined the war effort. I don't remember the story, but he, he was a lieutenant. And their plane went down, so they were, check this out, they were lost at sea, him and some of his companions, for 47 days. I remember my wife commenting. She said something like, wow, that could have been the movie about their struggles out on the ocean and how they rescued and survived that. That was miraculous. Well, guess what? They survived the ocean, and guess who they get rescued by? The enemy. The Japanese in the Pacific rescued them at the time. This was World War II and took them to prison camp. So he'd been rescued from the ocean. I'm not going to die that way. But all of a sudden now he's in a prison camp, and it turns out somehow the head of that prison camp was a little insecure dude, man. God forgive us, you'll probably hate him in the movie. He's a good villain. He's odd. He's kind of feminine. He's jealous. Oh, he's, he's, there's something up with that guy. He's just, he's not all there. He's kind of a, a mad scientist vibe, but then also a little dictator. He's a punk. And he figures out that Louis Zamperini was an Olympian, so he decides he hates him. And he wants to shame him in front of everybody. At one point, he has, I don't know what happened. This guy would just, he was so capricious. He would find a way to just punish, just, just like this. And the guy said, I want all of the American soldiers to line up, hundreds of guys, and I want you to take turns hitting Louis in the face and punching him. And the name of the movie is Unbreakable. Powerful powerful movie there's a sequel too so what happens is at the end of this movie well I, spoiler alert right he went on to survive somehow and I, i'm sorry but you need to watch it but that way you know there's hope you're watching the movie you're like is this ever gonna end people are punching him he's skinny he's deprived this guy's out to get him i just it's terrible well the prisoners in that movie louis zamperini included they become they're, they're rescued many of them were given up for dead They were rescued. And man, there's so much joy when there's rescue. Can you imagine how they felt? 
That should be the joy you feel because you were rescued. And if you felt that, shouldn't you want somebody else to feel that? I do. I want others to feel that. How did it feel when I was rescued? How did it feel when the Gadarene, the garrison was rescued? Wow. What did he say? Jesus, can I get in the boat and go with you? I'm going to hang out with you, man. With you is everything. Wow. I'm free now. Like he's clothed and sane, had his beard trimmed probably. Just all cleaned up, looking sharp. And Jesus says, no. Why don't you go home tell your family all that God has done for you, the great things that God has done for you. Don't forget you were rescued. Don't you dare forget. Say, I'm not the demoniac, no. But you were rescued from sin, from yourself, from your situation. You were rescued. Look at number four. This is what we jump into now. So you should be grateful. God's been dealing with me about that lately. I'm not just an ungrateful person, but I know according to Scripture that, man, God hated it when the children of Israel were rescued from Egypt and they were ungrateful. In fact, most of them died out in the desert because of their ungratefulness. He, God said over and over again in the Old Testament as he's marching his people, his promised people, whom he's, he's going to bring the Messiah through them. And he's, they're the chosen people, the seed of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham. And they're complaining, going, man, Lord, it's better back then. It's better back there. I remember back in the day, people at church telling me, oh, man, when we were in the world, we had so much fun. It was bad. I'm like, you, were, you don't remember? You were drug addicted, hooked on this, hooked on that, miserable, couldn't sleep at night, didn't know how you got home. You were sick. You were vomiting. You didn't know what was going on. That always turned me off when I'd hear people say, yeah, but in the world, we did this. Do something for God now and be grateful, right? I may not be speaking to anybody in here. Maybe I'm preaching to myself. But that always frustrated me growing up, hearing people say, man, but you don't know how we did it in the world. It was basically, it was amazing. Like the children of Israel said, oh, yeah, Egypt, we ate onions. What does that mean? Look in your Bible. They're bragging about, man, in Egypt, we had onions. Some of y'all are like, man, I don't even like onions. We had extra good breath in Egypt. It was amazing. That's how we got our wives. We were eating onions and leeks and garlic and all this stuff. What? We had onions in Egypt? God took, took his people, brought his people out into the desert to work on them because they weren't ready for the promised land yet, obviously. He wanted to show them how great he was so they'd have stories and history and a track record with him. And he began to give them manna, everything they need. I believe manna in the older, in the ancient languages meant, what is it? Bread from heaven. A honey taste. I don't know, but God provided it. Every day he'd provide for them. He gave them food in the desert. He took care of them, water, just took care of them. And they struggled with being grateful. Say thank you sometimes, right? It throws me off when people don't say thank you. I'm all waiting. I don't need you to say thank you, but I, man, I kind of want you to be grateful, right? Say thank you sometime. Show God and others how grateful you are daily. Complaining displeases God and so much more than displeases him. Don't forget that. Scripture proves it. So be grateful. Scripture says he inhabits the praises of his people. God loves gratefulness. He wants to be around you. His presence loves to soak and absorb the area around people who are grateful. You attract God to your, to your season, to your situation, to your life, and to your home and family when you are grateful. Be grateful. 
It's kind of like steps here this morning. And the fifth one is, then, just like the gathering, we are free to proclaim or testify or preach or share. Don't be intimidated by that. All that is is you're free to testify. Talk about what God has done for you. The demoniac, the guy who was full of demons, a legion of demons, he, he, he just started going around the ten towns, the Decapolis in that region, started just sharing, man, here's what Jesus did for me. Have y'all heard of Jesus? Here's what he did for me. Guys, it comes down to this. You say, man, how do I testify? How do I share? What do I do about my faith? Pastor Matt, I'm not you. I know we're different, but I'm no better than you. And you're no better than me. We are, king, we are kings and priests. Scripture says, the Apostle Paul wrote this, there's no male or female, Jew or Greek, in the kingdom of God. God sees us as all created in his image. And with that in mind, here's how you testify. I don't know, man. It's just Jesus. I just trust Jesus. He's the only way to get to heaven, and he's changed my life. That's testifying. And you may be so freaked out to do that, you may, you may go, man, Jesus changed my life. I got to go. That's okay, but share your faith. I've heard of people doing that, too. It's like, man, I got to get this off like my chest. You can't make it to heaven without Jesus. He's done great things for me. And they're freaking out. They're having anxiety, and they're sweating, and they're like, I'll see you later, man. I'll be praying for you. And the person isn't saved, and they're like, maybe I should, I'll be praying for me too and pray for you. But that's okay. you got to share your faith how you can. You say, man, I'm shy. Uh-huh. Did you know shy people? I've learned this about shy people. People who are more shy than me. They're especially gifted in one-on-one situations, though. Shy people are good one-on-one. Sometimes people who are the life of the party are trying to take everybody in at once. And the people who are more introverted, they're gifted one-on-one. So use your gift. Relate to people. Look them in the eye. Say, man, here's where I've been. Here's what God has done for me. Scripture says in the book of Revelation that those that made it to heaven, and those that were in heaven at that time had overcome the enemy, the devil, his tricks, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That's all you got to take into battle. The blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. You know what the word of your testimony is? Man, God saved me. God saved me, and he's protecting me, and he's doing great stuff in my life. I don't know what else to tell you. Join me at church. If not, check us out on Facebook. I got to (laughs) go. Whatever. Whatever you got to do. Or if it's a longer conversation, praise God. Here's what's cool about Louis Zamperini. He got back to the United States. He struggled. He had nightmares. He was rescued from prison camp, but he needed rescuing spiritually. So his wife, they're in L.A., And his wife goes to a Billy Graham meeting, I think it was 1949, and she accepts Jesus. And, of course, the wife and then some of his friends are like, Louie, you need to go check this out. So he goes to a Billy Graham crusade meeting, and he accepts Jesus, and he says, wow, I'm rescued. His nightmares stopped immediately, and he starts testifying. He got connected somehow to Billy Graham and them. Um, Wikipedia will tell you he became an evangelist. Well, he was just going around testifying. I don't know if there were any spiritual miracles or, or, or people being raised from the dead or anything. I'd never heard of him, and that's even more cool because he did that, and God was able to touch thousands of lives through him, and I had never heard about him until 2014 when that movie came out. He, died, he had died that year, I think, in uh, June of 2014. He lived to be 97 years of age. 
In the 90s, he went back to Japan and he found some of those who had been his prison guards in the prison camp. Some of, some of them, was it 80s or 90s? I may be messing that up. 80s or 90s he went back because he went back a few times to Japan. And he went over there and some of these guys were still in prison for war crimes and he led them to Jesus. That is forgiveness. The sorry part to the story is the guy that hated him so bad, they called him the bird. I don't know why they called him the bird. The little dictator that was over the prison camp, he refused to meet with Louis Zamperini, probably his pride and shame. But Louis was free. Louis wrote him a letter, I believe, in 2005 and said, I forgive you no matter what happens. We don't know if that guy got the letter, but Louis was free. Louis was rescued, just like you. So, man, we were helpless, point one, remember? We were helpless and some of us hopeless. Maybe both. Without Jesus, we're both. Number two, man, we were miserable and tormented, perhaps, but then we became rescued. Now all you can do is be grateful. Number four and number five, share your faith because you're free to do so now. Share your faith because you are free to proclaim now. Why wait? Why wait? What great things has God done for you? Go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. What has Jesus done for you? Remember, it's just Jesus, man. You get in life and you go through life and say this, that, and the other. No, man, it's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. That's the simplicity of your faith. It's Jesus, man. Is there anybody in this house who says, Pastor Matt, I need to get to know God through my, putting my faith in Jesus? I need forgiveness of my sins. I want to be in heaven one day with the Lord. Would you raise your hand, please? You've never accepted Jesus? or Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you today. And some of you say, man, I'm making it back to God. I want to get right with God. Raise your hand, too. I'm going to pray with all of you. God bless you. God is with you. He's doing something in your life, doing something special in your life. Repeat after me today, everybody in this house. Say, Heavenly Father, I am a believer but I've made my share of mistakes. I know it's under the blood, the precious blood of Jesus. And by faith, I'm forgiven. But now, Lord, take away all condemnation. I'm not just going to live a life of regret because I'm forgiven. And by faith, I'm right with you because I'm forgiven. I thank you for the blood of Jesus, and I thank you for giving me a testimony, something to share, and I will share it, Lord. I want everybody to say this, God, give me opportunities. This week, three opportunities to share my faith. Make it easy. Make me bold in Jesus' name. I believe I'm right with you, God, and I want to help others get right with you. In Jesus' name.